Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. And this is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides on the quest to RPG adventures. Here at Tabletop Journeys, we are all devoted role players and storytellers at heart, and we absolutely love sharing our passion with you. In our main podcast episodes, we discuss D&D 5e's core rules and ever-expanding content, while also showcasing other RPG systems and bringing you fresh, new projects from indie content creators. Let us help you get the most out of your story, no matter what game world you're playing in, because detailed settings, heroic characters, vibrant NPCs, and a focus on story over rules can make any campaign legendary. Here's a message from friends of the show. Hey, Danilo from Thinking Critically here. Thinking Critically is a chat show podcast where we take a single concept or idea and discuss what it means within the Dungeons and Dragons framework. Each episode features a different guest from the TTRPG community, and so far I've welcomed actors, designers, and professional DMs. Consider it an NPR-style variety bucket of thought-provoking analysis and humorous anecdotes, where we cover all sorts of things, including the nitty-gritty of how to balance encounters, the perception of D&D in popular culture, and the impact it has on mental health. My hope is that each episode helps you get the most out of your sessions, whatever side of the screen you sit on. Find us wherever you get your podcasts and visit me at thinkingcritically.co.uk. Welcome everybody to Tabletop Journeys talking about the wizard class in D&D 5e. Luinika Glenn, glad to see you. It's been a while since I've seen you. I hope things have, have changed dramatically in the broads. Just kidding. It was like 15 minutes ago that we that we recorded the wizard <laughs> class episode and now we're diving into the, into the subclasses. Not much has changed, but we sat down to go ahead and do all of our wizard content, well, at least as much as we can stand. <laughs> as much uh, as we can get through second. before I let's exactly. get too heavy. <laughs> Tonight, we're going to dive in here. So we talked a lot about the base wizard class and how that's very much just the scaffolding for all of these subclasses to go ahead and hang off of. And that really the meat and potatoes of what's going to make your wizard really special is in these subclasses. We've got Lee Wanika, who's going to be keeping an eye on our spell selection over here as we go through the our rankings on the subclasses themselves. We're going to use the same scale that we do always. We're going to rank our subclasses in, in four categories. We're going to rank them on their mechanics and their flavor. Mechanics and flavor gets a score of one to 13 because there are 13 subclasses and then we have two pools of points that we can distribute to the subclasses uh, one based on our desire to or how often we have played a particular subclass and then a wild card that allows us to adjust the score which means that given back of the envelope calculation a given subclass can have a maximum score of 46 and looking down through the way the scores broke out, that puts some things in some very interesting perspective. Luanika and Glenn, you both had a subclass that scored 40 or above. I did not, although I did have a 39 and a 38. So in the neighborhood, but nothing, no 10s across the board and also no ones across the board, right? I think that the we, in our pre-show notes, we were talking about this a little bit. The middle seven or eight subclasses are virtually interchangeable. They really are. Yeah, they yeah, they it like is based on the two, flavor of you as a player. Yeah. Top two, top bottom two. Three, two bottom any two in the middle three. could just flip around. Yep, exactly. I, and I think uh, wh where, first of all, I think there's some disagreement about which one is our top two <laughs> on some levels. I think we have some disagreement in there. And where we slotted everything else, it's very much up to personal preference as a player. So other observations for you guys before we dive into the player handbook uh, subclasses. Because I have, I think, of the three of us, the most 5e experience between as a player and running games, because I've run a lot of them for a while now, I have seen more of these schools 
than uh, I thought I had. And I can tell you that I, because I've seen them in action, it, it made this ranking harder, not yeah. because things were bad, but because I've seen how even the things that you wouldn't think are great turn out pretty awesome in the right kinds of circumstances Yep, um, or in the right type of game or better yet with the right type of party. So I found that this was exceptionally challenging because so many of these are good with one exception. There's only one of these. I can honestly say, I don't think I would ever play. And I don't know if I've said that about any subclass before. Possibly the fighter, even the rogue, there's some that I probably would never get around to nowhere on my radar as wanting to play. But with every one of these, I'm like, ooh, I could have fun with that. But some of them were like, but I'm only going to do that in a one shot or I'd only want to do that in a tier three or, or a tier two or a what have you. There are a lot of niche cases for a lot of these but they were all interesting. They all looked fun with the exception of the one that quite honestly comes down to personal choice. And we'll talk about it when we get there. I just didn't like it. I went in trying to be open-minded and as I dove into the actual schools of magic, because in previous editions, I have not been that impressed with what they threw out for wizards when they called and called them schools of magic and your choices of selection. When you, if you chose to specialize, which you didn't have to, they really didn't speak to me that much back then. But I was very pleasantly surprised. I really enjoyed having my mind opened and blown a little bit as I read through how much more unique flavor they've added to those schools. Yep. And I had some that were quite a bit of a surprise. You know, yep. We'll get into them as we go. But divination is an example. I never really thought of myself as wanting to play a divination school mage or wizard because, I yep. don't know. Divination and portents and D&D can get a little bit weird and they can get a little bit wonky in terms of what you're asking your storyteller to come up with when yep. you cast spells like portent or what your storyteller is willing to come up with, which can limit your play. But they actually came up with great mechanics for some really interesting things that have to do with the different schools of magic. And uh, yeah, it should be a good discussion. So let's go ahead and, and dive right in then. And we are, as always, we're going to go in order of appearance. And so we're going to start tonight with the player's handbook and with one of the subclasses that surprised me right out of the gate, actually. And this may come as a surprise because if you listen to the Class Warfare episode, I played in Abjurer, but I was surprised at how strong the Abjuration subclass actually is. Luminica, you actually scored it uh, the highest of the three of us, but all of us scored it under the 30s. What you, were your thoughts on it? After being a part of the game where you played this character, I had a couple th thoughts going in. The first thought was, what the heck is Josh <laughs> doing picking an Abjur? That was my <laughs> right, original thought. Right, right. Then I said, Josh is no dummy. He picked it for a reason. There's something there that I'm not seeing. And I had yeah. not, at the time we did that request, done my class reading and, and work yet. Study. I watched you play it, and I think the scenario we had went very badly for you, so you didn't get <laughs> very badly for a me, lot yeah. of the things Indeed. that an abjurer can do. The reason I didn't give the abjurer top, like, top billing for mechanics is I don't think they come online early enough. Yeah, like I think a lot of what you needed to do needed to come online earlier because we played yep. that session at level five and yep. you needed to at least get to six to be able to do a whole lot. Yep. I think that's going to be a theme that we'll see throughout these subclasses is that they are somewhat of a slow boil. Right. And I absolutely agree with you. I love the arcane ward ability. And this is one of those things that it's a fantastic ability, but to your point, Glenn, about how connected the subclasses are to their particular school of magic, you only get to fire off Arcane Ward if you use an Abjuration spell. So that's the trade-off, right? And so in that given scenario, when I've got a Githyanki in my shorts, like the last thing that I'm worrying about at this point is Abjuring, right? An Abjurer Wizard is good, the Abjurer build that I put out was not necessarily great. The whole concept with that character was that he is going to be the, the buffer, right? He is going to be the one that can help the Evoker do more damage. I didn't even know that you were playing in Graviturge at the time, but I think that could be a really interesting combination to help lift you guys up. That character should not also be the one with the sword wearing the armor on mm. the front line. 
True right? story. None of us would be though as wizards unless totally. one of us made a blade singer. Yeah. We didn't have yeah. we weren't we didn't have a melee character. Yeah. And I've actually ranked this one uh, top marks for mechanics. I gave it the best because I I was really impressed. They're not perfect, but honestly, I've yet to run across a class that was. But I agree. The one thing that should be different. The fact that you're so attuned to abjuration magic should be what lets you form the ward, not the fact yep. that you cast an abjuration spell. spell. It should be any time you cast yep. a spell, you can form this ward around yourself with the additional yep. abjuration energy that you draw yeah. from the world. Yeah, that's a decision that they made in all of these subclasses in the player's handbook, mm -hmm. is that they get a special ability when they cast spells in their school, right. which, you know, has pluses and minuses. It really does, so... Yeah. Well, I like the uh, idea of being specialized enough that your internal magic, your energy is aligned enough that it doesn't have to be yep. that specific school for the ability, but yep. that's just me. And the schools speak to what the school does well. The challenges, and certainly with the scenario that we set up, there are not a lot of directly damaging abjurations. And certainly not at the levels you had access to at fifth level. There are a few things that get a little bit better. Either they're much better at protecting or that they can actually do some things to you for you, but none of them are coming online at level five with the exception of armor of Agathus. That would have probably been the only thing you could have done differently. Yep. That alone had the potential to give some damage that maybe some of the other things that happened would have taken out one of the enemies around yep. around earlier. Yeah. Um, that's very situational yep. in our in the scenario we played, whether that would have worked or not. Totally. But at least with somebody in your grill, you would have been hitting them, them too. Yeah. I mean, that that's here's the long and the short of it. In a deadly encounter, rolling a one for your initiative, you're going to have a bad time. You're just not. That's just, that was, I was dead from the moment that started because I was never going to be able to, I was always responding and an abjurer really has to be proactive. It cannot be reactive. And so that's yep. just the end of the And, uh, and honestly, a couple of us made that mistake. Like I had yep. mage armor, should have been the first thing I cast. Yep. One last thing on Arcane Ward, because it was the only other criticism I had for the mechanics of this class at all. It even has the best capstone ability, in my opinion. Totally agree with you. I've ever yep. seen. The only other thing, and it's about Arcane Ward again, which would then carry into Projected Ward, which is wicked cool because now you can project that ward onto somebody else. I would like to see the amount of hit points that the ward creates its maximum be tied to your proficiency bonus instead of your intelligence modifiers so that yep. it scales and the ward actually improves with you as you get older. Yep. That's the, uh, only, other, that's the only other beef I have with any of its mechanics. I, I, I'm going to refine that a little bit and also say I don't think that it should be a regain only. Like you should be able to go into like temporary hit point range if you're regaining more than your maximum kind of thing, right? Because otherwise if it's regaining, you're up to your maximum and that's it. You can't gain anything above that. I, I think that there's some space for it to go ahead and be mechanically a little bit better. But I also think- Especially you, with the spleeny as wizards tend to be. Spleen, right. Yeah, wizards are spleeny, right? The ward up, that would have helped you. And you could have, every oh, time you cast a spell, totally. brought the ward back, and that would have been a damage soak. Yep, Then totally. you could have been the tank -ish. Yep. So Conjuration, again, a little bit of a surprise, not quite as surprising as the Abjuration. I thought that, again, they had this wacky mechanic where it has like a three-foot benefit at the beginning. The three-foot... Anything less than five feet really doesn't have any place in 5e. It just doesn't. It's stupid. Yeah. It's stupid, right? It's, and so it should base it off of character size or something like that. Yeah, it's, it's the minor conjuration, right? When you, when you use your action to conjure an inanimate object in your hand in an unoccupied space, the object can be no larger than three feet on a side. So I guess what they're – I don't know. I mean I Actually, guess what they're saying is that – it can't be a big thing. It can't be it can't a five-foot by five-foot It can't take up a whole, a whole square. Crate. People can still yeah. move around it without any issue. I guess it makes sense. Uh, it's just, yeah. you know. I jumped on the bandwagon too early when you were saying three feet because I was thinking of the two-foot increment well, there's for another uh, one. Exactly. a range yeah, thing later. This earlier. But yeah. this one's, I mean, it's yep. weird, but it's okay. Yep. I, I think in general, a, a, a school of conjuration wizard has some fantastic upside if you have a familiar. Um, I think, you know, when you start talking about benign transportation and stuff like that, I think there's a lot of really great synergy that you can have back and forth with a willing creature you know that kind of thing so i thought that there was a lot of upside on this i rated it mechanically strong but flavor wasn't there and it it fell down from there yeah i put it right middle across the board i thought the mechanics were fairly solid i think there's some quibbles there but like i was kind of i never thought i would have been interested in this but 
I really like that 10th level one, and I, I, I think it would be worth playing. I could have yeah. fun with this. This is one that I think might work well, but I don't know about how hard it would be to stick it out to get to that point. I think you'd be a, a, a conjuration mage who did some lackluster evocation along the way until you got to the point where this yeah. stuff is really hot. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the key with some of these. It's like you're going to have to do other things. And then your focus comes to play. Yeah. Right. Like you, you talked about the capstone ability for the abjuration school, Glenn. I thought this capstone was absolutely my favorite. The 14th level ability that any creature you summon gets a bonus 30 temporary hit points. Like at 14th level, 30 temporary hit points is the real deal. So Yeah, no, it's solid. When I first read that one, I was thinking capstone like 20 because, again, I want those higher level abilities to come yeah, from yeah. – the, from the uh, subclasses but yeah no at 30 at 14th level 30 hit points is solid that is a good capstone ability yeah. I, I was truly thinking like a conjuration up to there and i know glenn you're not as big on on uh, multi-classing as i am but i was really thinking you could take a druid and this and do some well, I, I do lot i do lots of multi-classing it just it's all about the concept the character concept it's less about coming up with the build first it's more about coming up with the person first it's weird my, my brain's just bizarre i guess it's not really that bizarre but I, anyway you know, so. all right anyway. yeah all right we don't need to, we don't need to crack that egg we don't have that, that kind of time <laughs> um, well, i did this one i ranked it right middle across the board i ranked it stronger mechanically than flavor because i really just didn't think it gave it a lot of that i agreed with you josh yeah. The only mechanical points that I really gave it a hard time on is I think that benign transposition should be a bonus action like Misty Step as opposed to a full action. Oh, yeah. No, that's totally fair. Yeah. And I ranked the flavor down just like everybody else. That dropped very far for me on flavor yeah. with really high marks in the mechanics. But let me just throw this in. Taking a look at the spell list. And again, for the audience that hasn't listened to our our previous episode which was the wizard discussion first of all why not second of all <laughs> what i mentioned during that episode was we actually did our rankings before we looked at the spell list so it did not factor into our decisions i think i would have probably gone higher with the mechanics looking at this list because unlike the abjurer the low level spells has some damage dealers Flaming Spear. It has some utility. Fine Steed. And these are seconds, right? Uh, healing Spirit. Misty Step. Summon Beast. Vortex Warp. Web. Call Lightning is a third. Conjure Animals. Conjuration is a powerful school. Yeah. Yep. The Hunger of Hadar. Sleet Storm is a third. Spirit Guardians. Yep. Summon Fey. Their thirds are pretty hot. And yep. when we talked about getting to cast spells and getting those free spells later on, you may only cast them at those levels. But think about yeah. this your spirit guardian or your summon Fey may only be a third level spell. However, you just threw 30 extra hit points on that third level spell. Right. Yep. That's some now synergy, I'm starting yeah. to see some of the synergy a little bit. And yep. how about that, that that odd kicker that this one gives it for the uh, Conjuration spell when you cast it for the bonus on Benign Transposition, which is basically a 30-foot teleport that you yep. can only use once per long step. rest. Yep. But every time you cast a Conjuration spell of first level or higher, it recharges. Yep. Ice Knife, Dust Devil, Cloud of Daggers. Yeah. So you could throw yeah. out Ice Knife and now you can teleport 30 feet again. So unlike some of the other ones where you might, I, you know, now that I previously said I might have to do some evoking to, to, to get some lower level usage, I'm taking that back. I'm taking that back. This has yep. enough damage dealers. They may not be as big or as flashy, but it's got some successful damage yep. dealers and some things that can cause conditions, entangles and things like that. Grease, make people yep. prone, fog come, make people blind. Yeah. This spell list is hot. All right. Let us move on here. Glenn, you had mentioned divination earlier. Talk to us about divination. Divination actually was my biggest surprise. Now, mind you, it didn't get the best rankings completely because I started out with no expectations. So the surprise came from the fact that I got to solid mid to upper expectations. And looking at it, the way that they – this, I was really impressed with how they took the concept of – 
divination and worked it into game mechanics. The second level ability, Portent, is just cool. It is no joke. Basically, when you finish a long rest, you get to roll two d20s and record the numbers rolled. And you can replace any attack roll, saving throw, or ability check made by you or a creature that you can see with one of your foretellings. Yeah. That's just hot. You roll good, it it goes to... It's just... It's great. I wish it had scaling. I wish it scaled. Because it doesn't. I do, too. That's actually why I commented later when Greater Portent comes out that it should have doubled it instead of just adding one more. Yep. If they weren't yep. going to scale. I roll those, I rolled the two D twenties. If I roll a four and a five, you know, if, really, if I, if, especially at later levels, if I roll my two portents and I roll anything less than a 10, mm-hmm. those rolls are junk. That's not, that's, those are wasted. You know, really it's gotta be 10 or above to be any use beyond tier two. And so yeah. I really would have liked to see some scaling with portent. I agree. It could be but, nice to have. It would yeah. be very nice. But, I mean, you but, couldn't do it by proficiency bonus. That would get crazy. Yeah, I, I didn't even go down the road of how to do it. I just It was more just like an half level. Like, yeah. Half level minimum of one. That means that you'd have to get to third level before you could do it twice. So be it. Yep. But by the time you're at 14th level, you could do it seven. Seven times. Yeah. That's still a little high. <laughs> That's a lot of D20 rolls. <laughs> I was pleasantly surprised by divination. Some of the other school's strengths caused it to fall, but it didn't fall for me. I really like that and a lot more than I originally would have believed. I think it is one of those things that just really made me think about the story potential. Like I thought of the Oracle. I thought of the hermit who was a diviner who schooled the the local hero like i I thought of the way it could work but and again when i've mentioned it several times the right party makes all the difference if i played the diviner and glenn was playing the champion hero fighter but i was the person who talked with them or i'm thinking like the danny devito satyr in hercules the disney (laughs) uh animated movie you know but i might do it with a little more wizardly flair than he did that to me has great story potential, but because I would need to do that in tandem with somebody, it's not like by itself walking into an adventure league game. I, I would it work, but if I we were, hey, we're gonna I'm gonna play a new game, Glenn. You got time? You want to join that new game? Let's put something together that'd be really cool. I could see myself using this to do that. He, you know, uh, a diviner with an alongside an Asimar or something like that. I think that would be awesome. So it, yep. it was something that I think the mechanics held for me and largely because of a quote from somebody I was taught, I was communicating with on Facebook who liked our class warfare episode. He said it was a really great idea and it was cool. And I'd asked the question on that particular group, you know, what would you build? What would your optimized subclass be? And he specifically said, I would be a diviner. He said, I would use bountiful luck feet. There was another luck feet. And I joked with him, would you put a halfling on it just to throw some extra luck on there? He goes, absolutely. <laughs> and his quote was this, control the role. And I'm like, done. done. Yeah. That was beautiful. Yeah. And so, like, I was like, I was sold on that. And that's why it held up in, in mechanics for me yeah. that long, that high. A, 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 a diviner with luck. Yeah, I dig that a lot. That's great. It. And honestly, I might take this as a multi-class as opposed to a full, you know, on subclass because – Divination needs a little bit more flavor for me to be fun out there. But I came up, I've been toying with this concept of a diviner guy who winds up, you know, X number of levels. So he's got portent to control the role. I like throwing in the halfling for luck, the feet for lucky. All of that is great. But his main focus is he's his business is a merchant and his name is Profit. I love it. I like it. I like it. I love it. Does he, have, does he have big ears and does he like Umox? All of those roles Prophet are usually Clark. used to control the the persuasion checks and things yeah. going on in the business transactions. But you know what he yeah. needs to? He'll save your ass too. And when we and go to the multiverse, you know we're going for gold press latinum, right? And and Pro- Prophet Quark is a great name. Like that's just a great name, so, <laughs> isn't it? Okay, so except it we, would be spelled P R O F I T. Of course, yeah, yeah. So we go from what I ranked as my number one subclass divination to what I ranked as my bottom of the barrel subclass. And we're on to enchantment. And there's going to be some, I think some disagreement in this year, but hear me out before you tell me how wrong I am. 
I think that enchantment as a mechanic in D&D is bad. I don't think it's good. I don't think it's good for player characters. It's prob- There are probably situations where NPCs or big bads or something like that can use it, but I think that it, it is all the worst things that we see in D&D with like agency stealing and stuff like that. Having a wizard subclass that's dedicated to that just really becomes cringy and problematic, I think, at the end of the day. The, the way it's written is a little bit edgy. My first comment as I was like reading through it is, oh, okay, the flavor text is edgy. I wonder how this is going to work out. And it worked out exactly the way that I thought it was going to. The quote that I had at the, kind of the end of my notes here is, is Alter Memories is cringy AF. Do not like it. This subclass epitomizes the problems with enchantment as a mechanic in the game. Right? It felt really flat for me. I see where you're coming from. I would say the volume of creatures who are unaffected by charm magic and with the ever increasing, there's actually a big brouhaha on several Facebook boards. I talk about that a lot these days, but about the new book Monsters of the Multiverse and how goblinoids mm-hmm. are now being moved into the Fae designed that they are going to have the Fae trait, which means their ability to be charmed is severely lessened. They have literally created more challenges with this particular school because things that charms don't work on become a bit of an issue. Now that said, this is where I think looking at the spell list and if a player wants to get their flavor more from these spells than the lean-in that was written, you do have spells like Vicious Mockery, Mind Sliver, Bane, Bless. Yeah. Some are cringy, but Compel Duel can be cool. It's great for that one-off in the big bad. Dissonant Whispers, Heroism, Hex is an enchantment. Tasha's Hideous Laughter. I am casting out Silvery Barbs. Those work (laughs) really well. Hold Person, Tasha's Mind Whip. This is one of the ones that has some of those lower-level damage dealers, and I haven't even gotten into beyond third-level spells at this point. I think there are a number of concerning spells, so you're absolutely not wrong, but there are a number of things you can do outside of that concern. And if you take some of these mechanics with the non-concerning spells, I think you're still going to make a pretty competent enchanter without necessarily doing all those things that we would worry about. Psychic Lance, that's a fourth. Right. And I think that's the way, if I were going to do it, I would do it that way. And I get what you're saying. And I just would never pick those things because when are you really going to get to use them? You're not wrong. I agree. I put enchantment as my second lowest. It's not my absolute lowest. But the reason I didn't go that far is because there are a lot of useful enchantment spells and you could create a specialized enchanter that didn't dominate people's minds, take away their free will and alter their memories. So a large part of that can be handled just with making sure that your lines and veils are discussed at your table before you start. So if you've got a player, whether you're a player or the storyteller, if there's another player that's thinking about the school of enchantment, making sure that the lines and veils for what you're okay with or not okay with is important because yeah. I agree a hundred percent that honestly taking over somebody else's mind is an evil act period. Not everybody does in the terms of D&D, and I know that those people are out there. And if you disagree with us, that's okay. But for us and at our tables, yeah, we find the concept of agency-stealing enchantment a little bit cringy. I thought of its uh, altered memories thing for the end of it as cool, but from the perspective of my NPC Big Bad, because he is performing evil acts. And I still won't often take agency or alter memories from a character if I can help it, unless it fits great with the plot and I think the player will be cool with it and we have a conversation But yeah, all that to say that its mechanics are a little sketch. And just to get into the actual mechanics of it, your level two ability, Hypnotic Gaze, I ranked it really low on mechanics just because it's crap. Um, It's crap. Yeah. I haven't said that in a while. No, he hasn't. (laughs) Basically, it incapacitates you just as much as it incapacitates the individual because you have to maintain their gaze to to incapacitate them and you can't do anything else while you're doing it. It's got big limitations. Yeah. 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 So mechanically, it is crappy too. I mean, the end abilities do seem cool, except for the fact that if you're a player character imposing these on someone else, you're literally taking over someone's mind and that's not cool, bro. 
When we did the episode last week, we were, I was talking about how there was one of the subclasses that had basically sorcerer-like abilities. Split enchantment is that, right? That is a sorcerer ability. It's, it's I cast a spell, and instead of targeting one person, I can now twin it and cast it, and it, it affects somebody else. It's mechanics from a kind of like a, a, a sensory agnostic point of view aren't awful, but I don't know how you separate the awful aspects from being an enchanter. I hear what you're saying about how you know you flavor it with the spells instead of the abilities, but on some level, isn't that going against the way the subclass is built to do it that way, right? If that's what you're going to do, why not make a spellcaster who has lots of enchantment spells and make them an illusionist or something else. I hear what you're saying about that first ability. I actually thought it was kind of neat. Didn't know it was in the game until we did the study for this. And I thought that was cool. And I was saying that plus the other stuff. It's not specifically agency stealing and it would be cool. It would absolutely just not work on so many things. I mean, yeah. there are a, a slew of player character lineages that it just will not work for. So who the frick cares? And if you go yep. into a town, there's going to be half elves. There's going to be, which are either immune or resistant. There's going to yep. be elves uh, immune. There's going to be a ladder immune. Shatter Kai immune. Drow yep. immune. Uh, yep. Fey immune. Blah, 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 blah. Now goblinoids immune. You know, yep. <laughs> yep. so many people are immune to charm oh, or, yeah. and or resistant that it's and what? And, yep. it, and, and that really and limits its use as a full-on yeah. specialty yeah. school versus just taking the ones you want. Yeah, maybe this is a move by wizards to go ahead and make the subclass less desirable by making its spells less useful. here then. Luanika, talk to us about the Evoker. All of us ranked the Evoker pretty well, but you ranked it far and away, you know, significantly higher than the two of us. Talk to us about what you saw in the Evoker class. Uh, ultimately, probably my favorite, by the way. I, I will say, like, my personal favorite, and I think that goes to what you were talking about earlier. I actually am surprised that I came out higher than the two of you on this, because I actually didn't place it high for my wanting to play it. And here's why, not because I don't like it, because I play in a game where a friend is playing an evoker and that player streams his hero, Jacob playing Firebrand, is amazing with that character. I love that character so much. I don't ever want to do that. It's been done. It's like at a certain point, there's some things that are just that good. Like there are roles that people have played. You're like, I'm good. I'm not playing that role yeah. anymore. Right. So I think for me, I marked it, you know, 50%, you know, five out of 10 for wanting to play the role. As far as wild card, it is a thing that everybody plays as wizards. So I didn't even give it high marks in, in that. But mechanically, I really liked it. The sculpt spell is one of the sickest, most useful daggum features of, yeah. of all the wizard classes. And yeah, it's awesome. And even if anything else was garbage, I couldn't give this less than my num than the number yeah. three spot. By the way, this got my number one for mechanics, simply because of that one feature. That's how good that feature. You're, is. you're not wrong. When you are playing the big damage dealing wizard, giving the big damage dealing wizard the ability to not harm his teammates with friendly fire is right. perfect. It's yeah, absolutely to, perfect. Yeah, you just have um, to go for meta magic for that. You right, know, but exactly. now it's built exactly. right in. Yeah. I'll tell you why I ranked it so low. I thought that Empowered Evocation at 10 was not super strong. Again, it's just your intelligence modifier, so no scaling. It doesn't really right. I mean, sure you Plus can go ahead and damage add... per spell at max. Right. And it's only one damage spell. It's only once. You only get it once. So it's not like for a 10th level ability, the fact that you only get to do it one time. No. That, no that's... You're misreading that. You can do it anytime. The one damage roll is to cover the fact that if you roll eight dice for fireball, you don't get to add it to every one of them. Okay. 
then that's written poorly because it's when I saw of one any spell role, you cast. Yeah, see, when I saw one one roll, I assumed that it was one time, one roll. Not you can only. Yeah, that's written poorly. Then I'm. I'm it is written very poorly. On okay. every damage spell, you'll get an extra five. So if I, so if I cast fireball five no times, further, okay. yeah, tenth level with no further scaling, you'll never get more than that five point damage bonus. So, yeah, I mean, meh. Okay, I guess but that potent makes it... cantrip is the one that I thought was the the most lame. Honestly, yeah. at sixth level, potent cantrip. The, the the first one is awesome, but potent cantrip is the one that that held me up. Your damaging cantrips affect even creatures that avoid the brunt of the effect. So when creatures succeed on a saving throw, they take at least half damage. Yeah. But no well, additional with, effect. With cantrips, if they save, they the get no suck. damage. They, it's, right. it's save or suck, exactly, right? So right. now you've got a spell, Witch Bolt, right? Actually, not a cantrip. Which one? Ray of Frost is a cantrip. Hold um, the dead. You know. Hold the dead is one. Yeah. Right? Shock and Grasp. Shock and Grasp. Lightning by, by War. Th- there Go are ahead. plenty of them, right? But half damage on the save for cantrips at sixth level is negligible enough that yeah, that's fair. I'd have gone with a different choice. I'd have used yep. a different spell if I needed I guess, to do the damage. So again, uh, we're talking about how the rules are written sort of ambiguously. If I Because oh, a lot of those cantrips also have when you are X level, they do more damage, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so uh, is that like ninth level? Okay. They're trying to think of like shocking grasp, I think is like what, 2d8, I think. Yeah, they Except do go up when, a little bit. And then at fifth, it's three, and at ninth, it's four, right? So now it's now you're talking about real damage, you know? Right. Uh, but I do hear the levels, like that's, but, the, but you're past the levels where cantrips yep. are as crucial for your survival. Yep. You I, know, they're not your go to bet damage fight spells anymore. Right. Now well, they're your eh, okay. once in a while and you're back up. Well, unless you're out of spell slots, which is what we talked about earlier, right? Where it's like now they can go ahead and cast cantrips for free, you no, know? True. So, and, you know. and I love that, but. Yeah. Yep. The one that I thought was, was really neat, even though, you know, this is my quandary with the wizard class is that so many things are really cool, even if they're not good. Over channel has got a really stinking huge negative attached to it every single time. I was at the first time that no adverse effect, right? Um, each time you use the feature after that, you get get necrotic damage, right? So two d twelve necrotic damage too. So it's not like it's nothing. Like you're like significant amount of necrotic damage. Right. And so wow, that's a really big negative. That's a really big limiter on the use of that ability. And I love it. <laughs> I do too. I do too. To be able to overchannel yourself to death to almost oh take out the big it's, bad because you needed I, to. I mean, that's mana burn straight out of Magic the Gathering is what that is. Like That is, you know what? Yep. You know what? I need to go ahead and drop my 45-point fireball, and I'm sure going to take 15 points of damage because I'm going to overcast it. But damn if I'm not going to do it to go ahead and knock you out. Like It is, it is the Alpha Strike of Alpha Strike's ability that when the, the spell blowback, ugh. Oh, I, I kind of love free. it. So first you got the the alpha strike, but it doesn't yeah. do it, right? So now you've got the full on, you know, super saiyan power going off as you do yep. it again, and it withers you, a, but it yep. withers you a little bit. It's like in in the wheel of in that scene in the wheel of time when they're in the city and they're holding back the trollocs, right? And then just like one by one, they start falling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So cool. All right, Mister Myers. I am going to ask you to explain yourself on the School of Illusion. You scored this significantly higher than both of us, so have at you. What did? What are you thinking, man? <laughs> I was excited. Straight up, I was excited. This is the first time I've read an illusionist that I liked. Wow. Okay. I'm not saying it's the bomb. Okay. I'm not saying it's the best class out there. And maybe I got overzealous with my scoring because I was excited, but it gave me, especially with the abilities to, as your illusions grow, your natural illusion magic improves too, right? So you start out with an improved minor illusion. And I gave this one decent mechanics. They're not great. When you cast minor illusion, you can create both sound and an image. Now, if you have a player who creatively uses illusions like our Patreon Fiona does, adding that extra piece to it would be crazy because she's throwing out illusions and and, and sounds where she'll set it up so that she uses the effect and she'll describe it all completely to scream in her opponent's ear the instant 
before she her strike lands to try to distract him. I mean, she does all kinds of creative stuff. So that kind of captured me a little bit. Was was, but it, you, you got to have a DM who's going to work with that flavor because otherwise, without that, none of these will work. Yeah, right? because so seeing through an illusion is it doesn't. That's a great bit of flavor, but there are no mechanics to back it up, and so it really it, it's all about the role play at that point, which is fine. I just wish that I wish that there was a hook to hang my hat on. I'm going to say for me, it was before I even looked at the spell list. And I'm looking at the spells, and there are a lot of great utility spells here. Absolutely. I can't think, unless I was playing some kind of trickster or some kind of mage who fancied themselves a trickster, that I would focus so heavily to make great use of all of these or these. Well, that's my point. At your disposal. An illusionist specialist is the ultimate trickster. It's not the arcane trickster half thief. To truly make a trickster like Loki, you need this build. By the time you're able to create an illusionary duplicate of yourself to avoid damage, that's straight out of Loki. Uh, malleable illusions, you got to be creative to come up with a good use for that, letting you change them. I see this perfectly for NPCs. I see this perfectly for situational type characters, one shots. I could come up with a build where this would be useful for a one shot. I just can't imagine focusing a character long term. And I think right. that's where my challenge with this comes in is what I want to play this because it's not inherently bad. And I'm not trying to fun shame, even though this reads like I am, because I can sense there are people we have listeners right now who are like, but I love the illusionist and mm-hmm. please continue to love the illusionist. I think there are things that they can do. None of them speak to this cat sitting in this seat. And that's why I ranked it the way I did. I agree 100%. I've never liked illusions. It it just never speaks to me. And I could not, because so many of these were so close to each other, put this above anything else. That's ultimately where I came down to. Because I would still not prefer these mechanics over something else. Yeah. If you take sculpt versus any, even the capstone abilities, and I'm like, I'd still rather have sculpt all day. Yeah. If you get the all choice day. between sculpt and improved minor illusion, I'm going to take sculpt. That's just the way it is. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and double down on that a little bit more, because you'd mentioned it earlier when you started looking at the spell list about how nice the utility of the spell list is. This may be one of those subclasses that I knocked down because of my perception of it by looking at the abilities and not the spell list, because the thing that I wrote down in my notes was all these powers seem really useful as support features, but is that the role an illusionist is really supposed to fill and so looking at the spell list if the spell lists are super utilitarian and the powers are super utilitarian then yeah this looks like this is we talked earlier about how for every class every subclass has you've got like your fightery subclass and your spellcastery and your psionic subclass and all these maybe the illusionist actually is the utility subclass for the wizard class and I missed it. I, I think it is because let's just take a look at that second level because that's where that that light feature level, that, that odd feature yep. comes in. You've got blur. You've got Arcanistora. You have invisibility, magic mouth, mirror image. I'm going to skip a couple of these. Phantasmal force, shadow blade, fear, hypnotic, and now we're into third. Those are exceptional second level spells and it's rare i pick a a build a a magic user that doesn't utilize at least one of those second level spells if not two and i would always if looking for an extra spell to put in my spell book grab another one of those that's always in the repertoire even if it's not on every single daily loadout and i think that's always in the utility yeah (laughs) okay so Next one here is the School of Necromancy, and this is the one that I actually ranked. Man, I love Necromancy. I just love the flavor. This is my highest ranked flavor subclass. I just love the School of Necromancy. I, I, I in fact, really wish that the mechanics held up 
to as good as the flavor of necromancy is. Again, a, a classic example of a case where I don't think that it's particularly well written. I don't think it's particularly good, but man, do I want to play one. Like I just I like I would love to play a necromancer and be able to do it right. But this whole subclass is just, it's a lot of bark and no bite. My desire to play it is all based on the flavor. It is 0% based on the mechanics, you know? So, I am am, am drawn like a Lysombra to the dark to any spells, even when I, and Glenn, you remember this from we, from back in our magic playing days, I was always trying to find that perfect vampire build where I'm draining life. So I'm using my black deck to uh, basically gain as much life as I could get from a white deck. And, and I never found the way to be able to make that work quite perfectly. Don't at me magic players. I'm way out of that game. I'm sure <laughs> somebody will tell me how to do that, but yeah. I can tell you that there's always a drive to see if I can make it work. Somehow or another, I never really get to. I made, uh, like, I was in the scenario playing Hadari. I'm like, I'm running low on hit points. If I can get a bite in, unless there's minions, I'm like, I'm not going to land this hit. And I can't. Look, I can bite the owlbear. I'm going to get 12 hit points to be stuck next to him so he can pound me into the dirt. <laughs> well, that's not going to work. Which he did anyway, so it's not like... anyway. But, but He'd have been very happy if you let him catch you. I mean, he was tired of chasing. I mean, but, <laughs> the, the abilities to drain life put me in a would have put me in a position where the life I drained wouldn't have done me any good. Yeah. So unless you're in a combat where there's a bunch of minions that you can one-shot, what good are some of those abilities, really? That's yeah. thematic. That's, yeah, I'm a Dom Fear. I drain the NPC commoner or what have you, or guard so that it's silent or what have you. It does no good in the big fight. No. That's and I, and I for find like with the ability to suck blood out of somebody's eyeballs from 30 feet away comes in really helpful, but that's, you know, it's. Yeah. So I dug the, the I, I really dig the concept of the necromancer, particularly if you set it up right. It does, just like we've talked about before, create some potential problems in terms of whether or not you're going to run with. It's all about how you play it, right? Necromancers could be evil, but they don't have to be. Right. It's not quite the, the same as the, the unholy version of a cleric, per se, who's worshiping right. a deity of undead. This is just, you know, magical forces of life and death. And you could create a neutral wizard who just sees corpses as a resource and life as a resource without actually committing evil acts, which makes super interesting character concepts just blossom in my head. But mechanically, it's weak. The first yep. two aren't bad. Grim Harvest is, is all right. And creating two undead when you create one at six isn't bad. But then after that, it gets very meh. Yeah, very it's meh. Just, it's not written well. This could sing. It could be yeah. awesome, but it should lean into more into that concept of life as a resource as opposed to just, you know, I like to make the zombies. Yep. yep. All right, Glenn, I'm going to give you the floor one more time here for transmutation because you ranked transmutation the lowest score out of any scoring for any subclass of the three of us. I'm going to give you a, a chance here to, to fire off because, uh, man, it, uh, none of us ranked it particularly high, but uh, you ranked it the lowest of the low. Actually, that's not true. I ranked enchantment one point lower than you ranked transmutation, so I suppose I do uh, own that honor, but nonetheless, transmutation. <laughs> So my one note, and then I'll start going through the class a little bit to give you all some better thoughts, but my one note on trans on the transmutation was neat mechanics and effects, but all of my imaginings were NPCs. It didn't make me want to play this as a character in the slightest. Mm. Mm. And when I'm looking at the abilities, minor alchemy seems really cool, except that whatever you just alchemize changes back in an hour. Yeah. Super situational. I mean, super in theory, situational. you could be a shysty bastard who's, you know, turning things to silver and selling them. And then later the guy's, why is this wood? You know, and they really did take a wooden nickel. Have you noticed how many times that particular phrase has come up in the course of our uh, of our discussions? Dicey. I think we've done that three or four times where it's like, yeah. you could use it to do that. But other than that, it's not all that great. Like we've said that multiple times. Mm -hmm. They yeah. keep going back to that particular well. 
And it's a well that was bone dry the first time. Yep. And I mean, the transmuter stone's kind of neat, but it gives you dark vision, a speed oh, increase. It doesn't have that anyway. I know. Everybody oh. already has dark visions. I mean, unless you're human, don't be a transmuter, right? Gives you a speed increase when you're unencumbered, which is neat. Proficiency and constitution saves. I mean, it's okay, but it's just not, it's not great. It's weak sauce. Yeah. What got me about the subclass were all of the drawbacks over and over again. Like I'm beating the same drum, I know, but you know, even look at, look at transmuter stone. Like sure. You get to go ahead and give yourself one of those abilities and you can charge a stone each time you cast a transmutation spell. You can only have one. And if you don't use the stone, it goes away. So it's not like you can bank them, you know, mm-hmm. you can only ever have one and yep. they expire. It's, it's like bad milk. Shape changer, same thing. You can cast polymorph. Fantastic. Except you can only cast it on yourself and you can only cast it once a day. And, you know, like all these kind of, again, it pigeonholes you in, you mm-hmm. know, and it just over and over again, it just does the same thing. It just Somebody who can change it, once a day isn't a shape changer. It, I mean, that's exactly. got to be proficiency bonus. Oh, exactly. Like yeah. but, they may shape change, but yeah. they're not shape changers. They're like cantrips yeah. for a title. But even even Master Transmuter, like, why would I take any of those things? Right? I was looking at them like, going, what the heck yeah. is this? Yeah. I guess ah. I guess Panacea, is, or Panacea, however you pronounce that, is the best one. If somebody comes to you cursed, poisoned, diseased, then you can throw your stone at them and heal them. It's still not good. I don't know. So I, it's here's what I'm going to say, yeah. and I'm going to go back to the to the spell book on this one. And I noticed this because when I was building Hadari, who is a graviturgist, which we haven't got to yet, but a lot of the spells I took to supply the graviturgy feel, I flavored off of transmutation spells. So, hmm. for instance, I took Gust. The idea being, you make somebody light, then you take the spell, you chuck them. Well, there's plenty of use in transmutation. It's just not good enough to specialize in. Yeah. Catapult. <laughs> Again, light, chuck them. Uh, fe- Featherfall, <laughs> light, a land. Jump, long strider, earthbind. Uh, uh, it, it's a way to flavor the spell. Like Technically, the spell is the earth comes up and grabs them, but I would flavor it as my, I'm, I'm weighting you down so much I'm, bit, I'm sticking you in the earth. I would just flavor that differently, even though it's technically... That spell. Mm-hmm. That's just kind of my thought when I was picking that spell. That's a spell that Hadari had. And and large reduce kind of goes along with that. It would work well depending on what you're trying to do with those things. Levitate. There's just a number of things that really work well with the Graviturgist. So I can see a lot of their spell list being good or the spell specific being good. But other than nice NPC ideas, I wasn't feeling this. Yeah. And that was where I left it. I, I said, interesting, but oddly, just good NPC ideas is all I got out of this. When you look at like our, our combined score for the three of us, this one and Enchantment were our lowest ranked subclasses by average. None of us thought it was particularly good. <laughs> all right, let's put a cap on this for now. So we've made it through the player's handbook. We have mm-hmm. seen we have seen the highs and we have seen the lows, and we have we've really seen the broad swath of things that the wizard class started with where its origins came from and how it started up next episode. We are going to talk about some of the more specialized wizard subclasses, uh, the blade singers, the war, Ma- the war mages, the chronologists, the graviturgists, uh, and the order of scribes. Those will all be in next week's episode, but gentlemen, some observations on what we have learned so far about this. Glenn, why don't you start? Well, each of the schools of magic have have some great spells in them. But my biggest takeaway, I mean, maybe it's just because of the ones that speak to me. Some schools of magic are more worthy of specializing in than others in the way that they're written at the very least. And, you know, sometimes it's always going to happen. But even when you get away from the way that they're written, I like the the way divination school is written in here. And it made me it, it moved it up my want to play list. But it's still not the kind of uh, a wizard that just speaks to me like, hey, you know, yeah. I'm going to be a diviner any more than a transmuter or, you know, some yeah. of the other ones. So that, does that mean every wizard needs to be a shoot and scoot evoker cannon? Hell no. There's plenty of other flavor out there and you grab what you want and you, and you don't take what you, you don't take what you're not interested in. Yeah. For me, a lot of the ones that I liked but weren't ooh-ooh 
that's the character I want to play. Those are multi-class options in my brain now that are sitting there and chilling, just yeah. waiting for another character class to pick up those first couple of abilities to make them yeah. that much cooler. I, I also think differently than a lot of other classes we've talked about, with these first eight anyway, a lot of them were, you know, this is a fine subclass, but I wouldn't play one. I would bring one as an NPC or I'd bring it as a big bad. I can think of a big bad that is like this, but I can't think of a player character that's like this. Right. And I'm not sure that we've necessarily seen that with other classes that we've discussed. Yeah, and I think that speaks to the fact that unlike other subclasses <clears throat> for other classes, each of the subclasses is specifically a type of character, a genre of character storytelling of archetype, right? This is less of that. This is an archetype that is based, uh, with the exception of the Evoker and the Diviner, possibly the Enchanter. These are less of archetypes and more like, here's a school of magic, and if all you did was this school of magic, here's what you could do. And I think that speaks to why, if I wanted to play a mage, I am more likely to do the subclasses that we talk about next. When we start talking about the ones, and while they are specialized, it's because they're drawing from all of the use from each of these schools and then applying abilities that are thematic and specific to a character archetype. The Bladesinger is a thing. The yeah. War Mage is a thing. The Chronodist to Matt Mercer and his team to come up with a Chronody school, to come up with a Graviturgy school, they have made a thing, right? Mm -hmm. The Order of yeah. Scribes is a thing. That's so cool. And they just get to do these other types of spells to build that thing. So yep, anything right. that fits that theme works with that thing. And I think that's really the secret sauce that some of the other ones are missing even if my number one class happens to be one of the top ones and yeah. my number two happens to be in the top group but the rest really fall elsewhere in, in in the list because of that my lowest are in the top list yep. right and and all of these other ones that we're going to talk about next week they're in the higher end all of them for me they're all higher up and i and think to be that's fair why if wizards rewrote the PHP with an updated version and they did a 5.5 and they took the time to rewrite these, I think they could make the individual schools of magic, maybe not quite as flavorful as order of scribes or war magic necessarily, but they could now that the bar has been raised. I think they could do a better job with these abilities and they could make them sing more. But yeah, these next ones, as we get out of the player's handbook and we get into the expansions uh, for the things they put out in, in the next books, it's really where it starts to come together. As evidence of what they could do to make these schools better, you have to look no further than one of the things I, I did like about Strixhaven. They basically created things, Silverquill, Witherbloom, whatever, that had a type and then you use whatever spells fit that type from whatever school. So I think you're correct. And, and it is just the strength of their writing improved for all the things that we gripe about with Wizards. Let's be honest. Their subclasses have consistently been improving. Yeah. And that's book over book, thing over thing, with very few exceptions. There are outliers for sure. But generally, the latter books have better subclasses, especially for the ones that were a little weak sauce to begin with. This, I think, really matches that motif. All right. Well, we will be back at you next week to go ahead and finish up the subclasses. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Without any further ado, we will talk to you again at that time when we start with the Bladesinger and the War Mage. So have a good week, everybody. We will talk to you then. And not so fast. Hey, travelers, it's Josh. While editing this episode, we noticed a couple things that we didn't get quite right. When looking at the spell lists for the various schools, we inadvertently looked at all spells, not just wizard spells, from that school. Obviously, the wizard spell lists improve the overall function of the subclasses, but details matter. We're already putting together some articles for the blog that touch on this, so be watching for those in the next couple of weeks. Also, during our discussion of the divination feature portents, we missed the fact that rolls can be used for not only yourself, but any creature you see. 
That means that every roll, even those under 10, can be reflected back to the big bad that is trying to cause you harm, or trying to beat your save DC, not just the other way around. Whoops. Thanks as always for listening, and we'll be back next week with the conclusion to the Real Thing Actual Play, and the second part of our Wizard subclass discussion. Until then, we hope all your roles are legendary. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. Join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. You can also stay in touch by subscribing to our Twitter, at TT Journeys, by joining our Facebook group, Tabletop Journeys, or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com. And remember, if you want early access to all of our episodes, a chance to drop dice with your favorite hosts, and maybe even appear in one of our actual plays, you can join our Patreon to help support the show at patreon.com forward slash ttjourneys. You're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, or Audible. We would appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast on that platform. Full episodes come out every week on Saturdays, and every Tuesday features our actual play episodes. Thank you for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler along our path, we did you shade and sweet water.